Welcome to you, wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching, I do want to mention this wonderful resource called the U Version of the Bible, absolutely free app filled with all kinds of amazing resources. And if you look under events, search for Arlington FM, there you can find a complete set of notes for this message. Also, when you're in your favorite podcast player, if you likewise search for Arlington FM, there you will find all of our teaching content. Listen through it, share it with friends, help us get the word out. Speaking of the word, uh, we are in uh, a series that we started last week, and it's called uh, My Good Habits. You know, I think uh, most of us can easily identify a few of our bad habits and, uh, you know, those are the things we wish we could stop doing. In fact, I uh, heard uh, that the majority of uh, New Year's resolutions, uh, people uh, give up on them the second week in January. So, uh, you know, we're all pretty much resolved to the fact that we have some habits that we wish we could undo, but we can't seem to jettison. Even the Apostle Paul, you know, this giant of the faith, wrote these words, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Uh, but here's the hopeful uh, truth. This series is not about our bad habits. In fact, it's about a few good habits that if we can lay them down, I, I absolutely guarantee uh, you will thank me someday if uh, these are new habits or if this uh, teaching fortified uh, some of these habits for you that absolutely have the ability uh, to fill our lives more with a, a robust experience of God and his good will for our lives. Uh, you know, uh, some people call these keystone habits. And uh, here's the way a keystone habit is described. Uh, automatically, uh, keystone habits lead to multiple positive behaviors and positive effects in your life. If we can get a hold of a few keystone habits, it opens the door, builds momentum, and sets in motion like dominoes, uh, additional uh, good outcomes. Well, as I've sifted through these truths that we're going through in this series, these are the best of the best. In my view, these are top shelf, uh, four star. These are the blue ribbon uh, good habits that if we incorporate them uh, into our uh, lives, into our faith journey, they absolutely bear a great fruit in our lives. And uh, here's the truth that's helpful. Uh, with any habit, be it large or small, uh, whatever the, the pattern we're trying to establish in our lives is, 
to make big changes in our lives, uh, you have to think, start, and celebrate small. Uh, you have to not sabotage your efforts by trying to do it all at once, but instead uh, just orient uh, towards a few good things. In fact, uh, the prophet Zechariah declared this truth. He said, do not despise these small beginnings, for God himself rejoices to see the work get started or to begin, and you should too. And so I want to quickly rehearse uh, the two good habits that we touched on last week. Uh, number one was uh, this good habit. I find a way every day to marvel at God, uh, to be uh, amazed at the nature, the grandeur, the magnificence, the might, the power, the wisdom, and the beauty of our Creator. In fact, we looked at this key truth when Jesus taught how to commune with God, uh, how to experience God relationally the way that he did. He said, when you, when you go to be with God, you ought to begin like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And uh, Jesus was saying is uh, when we begin to recognize the beauty and the greatness of God, it's like a portal that opens up our experience of his kingdom, his provision, his protection in our lives. All of these things happening as we come and recognize the greatness of our creator. And uh, here's a tip that we uh, kind of shared with us last week, uh, that creation can inspire our ability to marvel at God. God has revealed himself, his eternal nature, his divine qualities, the Apostle Paul said, through what he has created. Uh, we looked at Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. And night after night, they reveal knowledge to us about God's nature. You know, last night, uh, before I went to bed, brushing my teeth, I looked out the window and noticed the stars, the planets were particularly vibrant. I guess that has to do with the fact that it rained all week and then cleared up for a few hours, but uh, went out on our deck and just stood uh, under the heavens and let them declare uh, God's nature to me. And uh, I had that uh, wonderful experience uh, of uh, celebrating, marveling, at the greatness of God. I came across a book this week, you know, that uh, kind of helped me further along in this uh, commitment uh, to find a way every day to marvel at God. And uh, the book was called Life in Five Senses. And uh, in it, uh, the author noticed that she was uh, kind of letting her days and months and years slip by without celebrating life. And uh, as she embarked upon writing this book, uh, she chose to take a year and think about these marvelous senses that God has woven into our bodies that allow us to experience life. Uh, sight, sound, taste, smell, and touch. And uh, really that set the, uh, the framework for this book. And uh, really it's a testimony that if we'll kind of open the aperture of our lives a little bit more, the knowledge of God will flood in through his creation and how he has allowed us to participate in that. Well, the second a key habit 
that we looked at last week was not only do I find a way every day to marvel at God, uh, but this second habit is kind of anchored in this truth. Uh, Jesus said, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God, speaking of himself, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made God known to us. And uh, Jesus came to reveal the marvelous, invisible God to us and to make him uh, tangible in our experience. In fact, the Apostle Paul would write after Christ's death and resurrection, Paul would write, in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. In other words, we can come near enough to God to experience him, to know him. And so our second uh, keystone habit, our second good habit we touched on last week was uh, I go to a place once a day to meet with Jesus. I not only find a way every day to marvel at God, but I go to a place to meet with the only one who can reveal God to me, to meet with Jesus. And uh, when we do that, when we, we actually set a time, set a place, and we meet with Jesus, we're following his example. As the gospel writers got to know Christ, they noticed this about him. He prioritized time to meet with God. We're told in Mark chapter 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he communed, where he prayed, where he talked to his father. You know, it was a life habit for Jesus uh, to go regularly uh, by himself and there spend time with his father. I don't know about you, but uh, I hate uh, going someplace to meet with someone and having them not show up or having them be late. You know, it's, uh, I think it was something I... Uh, gained an aversion to in my childhood, uh, but uh, God is always there ready for us when we go to meet with him, and uh, I have found this. If I don't set a time and a place, it usually doesn't happen. I showed you last week, uh, this is my uh, humble spot where for at least a decade uh, I go and I meet with Christ there in the morning, got my coffee, got my U version of the Bible, and I'll typically open to the Psalms and there uh, set the stage uh, for that next key habit in my life, uh, which is to I set a time and a place to meet with Jesus. Well, I, I want to say this before we go into uh, good habit number three. If you only did those two and you did them with regularity, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will like where that takes you. Uh, you will be thankful that you establish uh, those two habits, find a way every day to marvel at God and uh, go to a place to meet with Jesus. Well, today we're going to look at a third good habit and uh, I can uh, make you another guarantee. If you will make this uh, a, a true daily ritual in your life, uh, it will open up wonderful things to you. Uh, it will set you free from the chains of uh, bitterness and, and negative dialogue uh, within yourself, it will liberate your heart to experience the generosity of God. If you add this one habit to your daily routines, it will lighten your burden that you carry into each day. In fact, it'll make you a more likable person. You will be a safe 
person to be around. People will be drawn to you, and it will open up to you networks of life-giving relationships. You know, if ever there was a one habit that leads to other good things, this is it, the one we're going to go into today. And uh, yeah, you ready for it? Here we go. This is good habit number three. Uh, I take a daily swim in the ocean of God's forgiveness. I take a daily dip in the ocean of God's forgiveness. Well, what are we talking about? Uh, the prophet Micah wrote this about God's willingness to set aside our offenses. He said, uh, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. And uh, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot, and you will hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You know, that's an amazing trait about God, especially uh, these people that Micah was writing to. Uh, they had drifted far away from God. They were making all kinds of choices that were not God-honoring, and uh, there were some consequences they had to go through in their lives. But in the midst of that, uh, God comes along, and he reminds them he loves to show mercy. He loves to pardon sin. In fact, he not only likes to uh, tread our sins uh, under his feet, but to hurl them into the depths of the ocean. And uh, God is inviting us uh, to take a swim in that ocean uh, every day. I once uh, had an opportunity several years ago uh, to lead a tour group in the Mediterranean and uh, we took about 30 people with us and uh, traveled uh, all around to a lot of wonderful places. We started in Athens, went to the Greek islands. Our ship took us over to the Holy Land where we spent a day in uh, Galilee, another day in Jerusalem. Uh, we were all around the Mediterranean, but uh, here was the truth. We never swam in it. Uh, our uh, tour guides, our uh, itineraries just didn't... Uh, create time for that until one point in our journey uh, we found ourselves uh, on the seashore with some time on our hands and uh, there uh, spontaneously and we did have some uh, shorts along with us our group of 30 uh, made a decision let's swim in the Mediterranean and uh, for a couple of hours uh, we immersed ourselves in that wonderful setting and uh, I came away with this uh, uh, real, realization it's one thing to travel all around a great body of water it's quite another to get in it and immerse yourself uh, in it and I believe that God is inviting us uh, to not just dip our toe in our experience of his forgiveness but to immerse ourselves in it daily in fact uh, here is how Jesus uh, taught about this reality we go back uh, to the Lord's Prayer the very same one he invited us to begin by marveling at the greatness of God, by aligning with his kingdom, by expecting his provision. Uh, he says this about our experience of forgiveness. He says, and God, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. You know, in this setting, in this context, uh, Christ is talking about authentic spirituality. He's not talking about outward religion. You know, that's I live to impress people. He's talking about an inward response to God that has lived to please him. And so he talks about the kind of prayer that pleases God, the kind of devotion that pleases God. And as he gets into this, uh, this uh, way that we can enter our communion with God, the Lord's Prayer, he brings forgiveness uh, into that context. And, uh, you know, one of the ways that we experience God is by experiencing his forgiveness uh, by opening up to God, setting aside our shortcomings, our fails, and our debts. Uh, you know, there's some things to notice about what Jesus teaches here. He says, uh, before we ask God to forgive us, the assumption is that we're willing to forgive people. In fact, uh, Jesus says it like this. We say, God, forgive us our debts, as we also, past tense, have forgiven our debtors, we've forgiven those who have offended us, who have transgressed against us. You know, they say uh, uh, grace is free, and it is, uh, but there are some conditions to experiencing the grace and mercy and God's willingness to pardon us our sins. And uh, Jesus gives us a, a clear condition here. He says we have to be willing to forgive and pardon and extend mercy to those who sin against us. You know, the word forgive literally means to send away, to hurl away to the bottom of the sea, to get rid of, to let go of. Here are some synonyms uh, for uh, forgive that'll kind of help uh, give it a little more teeth for you. Uh, uh, to acquit, to overlook, uh, to laugh off, to make allowances for to dismiss from our minds, uh, to wipe the slate clean, uh, to let it pass, and to turn the other cheek. And now here are some uh, antonyms of forgiveness. It's the other side of the, the equation, not being willing to forgive those who have uh, offended or sinned against us. Uh, uh, the opposite of forgiveness is mean-spirited, merciless, to bring a charge against someone, to accuse, to blame, and to punish. You know, it's kind of like this, uh, this picture here. You got two different dogs. One of them, the picture of forgiveness, it's kind, it's friendly, it's approachable. The other one, not so much. You know, snarling. You get close to this animal, probably going to get bit. And uh, it really is uh, kind of a, a living picture of uh, the kind of people we can become. We can either be those who are quick to forgive, let go of offenses, or we can be those who, who take offense, who carry grudges, hold on to grudges, and uh, carry offenses along with us. And uh, here's a question. Uh, how do you want God to treat you uh, regarding your offenses, especially on your worst days, you know, when there's very little that separates you from maybe someone who could care less about God's influence in their lives. And how do you want God uh, to deal with your shortcomings on days like that? And wouldn't it be great if on our worst days, God was willing to take our offenses and hurl them away and just say, you don't have to live with the consequences of those. You don't have to carry uh, those fails 
with you into the next day. You can live free and liberated. Uh, wouldn't it be cool if God interacted with us in that way? Well, according to Jesus, he does, and he wants to, but there's a condition. Uh, we have to be willing to treat people that way. We have to be willing to, to liberate them from the consequences of their shortcomings. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, that uh, in this uh, invitation of Jesus to enter into the generous forgiveness of God, he talks about the evil one. He says, uh, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. And, uh, you know, that's not an aside from Christ's teaching on forgiveness. It's inseparable from it. And uh, here's the point Jesus is making. Uh, there is an evil personality in the world. He calls him the devil. He says in another place, the devil has one intention, to steal, kill, and destroy from people. And uh, here Jesus puts that, that effort of the evil one into context. And he's saying, you know, one of the, the biggest array of tools that the enemy of our souls has is how we deal with people when they sin against us. How we deal with offenses. Uh, do, do we, are we the kind of people that uh, carry grudges? Or are we the kind of people that let it slide, that let it go, because that is the way that God treats us? Uh, you know, somebody said forgiveness means different things uh, to different people, but here's the kind of the consistent truth about it. In general, uh, forgiveness is an intentional decision to let go of resentment and anger. I hear that again. Forgiveness at its core is an intentional decision to let go of resentment and anger. You know, as we said, the opposite of this would be uh, holding on to a grudge, uh, nursing a wound, uh, whether uh, sourced in envy, jealousy, or rage. And uh, the more we hold on to it, uh, the more it grows, the more it takes hold within our thought lives, it wrecks our emotional lives, uh, sours uh, our day that's otherwise filled with the promise of God. Uh, you know, the writer to the Hebrews said, uh, don't miss the grace of God and allow some root of bitterness to grow up that ends up uh, ruining many relationships, your own with God, with yourself, and with the people in your world. And uh, the costs of nursing uh, wounds and gr holding grudges, it, it's immense. It can uh, foil our very experience of God. It can sabotage our closest relationships. You know, uh, here's some other truths about forgiveness. Uh, it's a commitment to change, but it's a process. It takes time to learn the habit of letting go of the offenses and the wounds and the misrepresentations and the misunderstandings that we're going to experience from people. It's a process. And uh, forgiveness does not guarantee reconciliation. Uh, you may uh, have to let go of some things uh, towards someone you'll never see again. You may never talk to them again. Uh, but the, the, the memory, uh, the, the nursing of that pain they cause can stay with you for a lifetime. Or you can let it go uh, through this habit of uh, swimming in the ocean of God's forgiveness. You know, uh, there's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Joseph. 
He's an amazing uh, picture of someone who learned the value of letting go of the offenses of others and uh, celebrating the generous heart of God towards people. You know, you can read about Joseph in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, beginning in chapter 37. But if anyone uh, had a legitimate reason to stay mad at people, uh, it was Joseph. Uh, as the story unfolds, uh, all of his life, uh, his siblings, his brothers hated him. They saw him as their father's favorite, and they resented him uh, for that role, and their resentment grew, their hatred grew, until one day they decided they were going to act out their resentment uh, by murdering their brother Joseph. And uh, as the story unfolds, uh, they eventually had pity on him. Rather than murdering, they sold him into slavery, and uh, Joseph ends up becoming uh, uh, enslaved. He goes to Egypt where he becomes the property of an official named Potiphar. And uh, there we're told that he served his master loyally until uh, one day, uh, unfortunately, Potiphar's wife uh, took a liking to Joseph. And when he spurned her advances, uh, she falsely accused him of trying to rape her. And uh, Potiphar has Joseph thrown in prison we're there. He spends a number of years. He experiences yet uh, another uh, fail at the hands of uh, one of his co-prisoners. Joseph helps him get released. He says, I'll remember you when I'm back in Pharaoh's court. He forgets about him entirely. A uh, number of years pass by, and Joseph continues uh, to be imprisoned until uh, one day his gift uh, makes a way for him to appear before Pharaoh, interpret his dream, and to condense the story, uh, Joseph ends up not only being freed from prison, uh, but uh, being set uh, over all of Egypt. In fact, he becomes the second most powerful man in uh, the Egyptian kingdom, second only to Pharaoh. Well, uh, time elapses, great famine comes upon the world, and uh, in that part of the world, and uh, Joseph's brothers end up uh, traveling to Egypt to beg for food. And they come before this very impressive leader. Little do they know, it's the brother that they hated so much. They thought about murdering, but sold into slavery. And uh, they have no idea that they're standing before uh, this uh, man whom they abused uh, in their father's home. And uh, some things transpire. They figure out who it is they're dealing with. And then we come to uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. We're told when Joseph's brothers saw that their father had passed away, they said, uh, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? And what if he pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? Uh, see, they're asking this very important question. Uh, we've sinned against him dramatically. We've offended him uh, in every way, shape, and form. And if anyone uh, has the right to hold a grudge, and to uh, pay us back, it would be Joseph. But uh, Joseph is of a different spirit. And uh, so they come up with a plan. They say, uh, this is what we should say to him. We should ask, uh, say, our father said to, you should forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. That's a pretty humble uh, request. But uh, when their message came to Joseph, 
they realized something. Uh, he was not a guy who held offenses. He didn't carry a grudge. He didn't nurse his wounds and hurts. In fact, uh, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God to exact judgment on you for what you've done? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so here's the point of that story. Joseph had learned that no human being can thwart God's good purpose in him. Doesn't matter their offense, the depth of their sin, how much they hurt him, offended him. Joseph had learned people cannot disqualify us from God's good intentions in our lives. In fact, what Joseph stated is that God uses even the bad stuff to further his good purpose in our lives. And I have to believe with all my heart that what Joseph really learned is the difference between uh, carrying a grudge, uh, holding an offense, nursing a wound, and being the kind of person who lets it go, lets it slide, turns the other cheek. And he realized that that's the key to experiencing the generous heart of God. And maybe you're thinking right now, you know what? Uh, that would take a miracle for me to respond that way to the people that offend, annoy, hurt, misunderstand, transgress against me. And I want to say this, it really doesn't take a miracle to become that kind of person, but it does require perspective. And the perspective is this, we have to believe that God has forgiven us such a huge debt. It would be absolutely ludicrous to live life exacting revenge and being hateful towards those who hurt us, whether intentionally or unintentionally. I want to end with this amazing story that Jesus tells of an unforgiving servant. So in this story, it begins with Peter, kind of the spokesperson for all who consider themselves disciples of Jesus is, is trying to put together in his mind, can you really live like this? I mean, can you really let go uh, of the offenses, the sins, the transgressions of others, uh, no matter how often they do it? And uh, here's uh, how the interaction unfolded. We're told then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who, who annoys me, who sins against me, who hurts me, who transgresses against me up to seven times? I mean, that would be virtuous. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Uh, he's saying, look, whatever your experience of seeing yourself as a gracious, merciful person is, uh, it needs to get larger. <laughs> you don't need just a small measure of mercy and forgiveness you need an ocean of God's forgiveness uh, to live this way and so uh, Jesus tells the story as he often did to make a point he said therefore the kingdom of heaven is like this like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began to settle uh, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold pretty big debt was brought to him 
And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had should be sold to repay this humongous, uh, unpayable debt. Well, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. So the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. This would be called amazing grace. But when the servant went out, according to the story Jesus is telling, uh, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a few bucks. <laughs> he, in fact, well, he ordered, he owed him a hundred silver coins. Uh, he grabbed this man by the neck and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, and he begged him the uh, same words that this gentleman had used to be forgiven of his huge debt. He said, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. Uh, but, however, he refused. Instead, he went and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off his debt. And when the other, other servants saw what had happened, take note, they were outraged. And they went and they told their master everything that had happened. And uh, just an aside here, uh, when people who don't have faith in God uh, see those who do, uh, judging uh, and uh, holding the sins against others, uh, making them pay back for their offenses, uh, they are uh, uh, appropriately outraged at that kind of behavior from uh, people who suggest that they've been forgiven. And that's the point Jesus is making. He said, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And uh, here's the point now. Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. You see, Jesus, he's inviting us into a different way of uh, dealing with our own sins and sins of others. He's basically saying, look, you can't have it both ways. You can't expect God to release uh, your sins from you to cast them into the depths of the ocean until, unless, uh, you're willing to do that with people uh, who are going to sin against you. And uh, in fact, uh, Jesus said, uh, this has to be real. He said, uh, our Father's going to treat us this way unless we forgive from the heart. And uh, you know, this has nothing to do with their response. It has everything to do with what kind of people that we are choosing, making a decision to be as we experience the ocean of God's forgiveness, and we learn to uh, establish the habit of uh, sharing that with others, I want to invite you to, to pray with me. And as we go to prayer, a quick reminder of these three uh, very doable, uh, life-changing good habits. Number one, I find a way every day to marvel at God. As I come to God, uh, admiring, celebrating, worshiping him for who he is. Uh, I go to a place uh, once a day to meet with Jesus who alone can reveal God to me. And as I'm experiencing God revealed through Christ, 
I enter in uh, to this wonderful, blessed environment of forgiveness where my, my shortcomings and my failures are not held against me, and I likewise release others uh, from their offenses uh, toward me, which pray with me. Father, thank you uh, for this amazing truth that uh, you've given us so clearly in your word. And I pray, uh, Lord, uh, if, if we're not in the habit of every day uh, releasing the offenses, the hurts that we've incurred uh, from others, uh, the disappointments, the mistreatments. And Lord, I know sometimes those wounds go very deep. The pain is very real. And uh, Lord, uh, this uh, has nothing to do with the response we may get from people. It has everything to do with what's going on in our own inner world. And uh, are we caught up uh, in that bitterness, in that vengeful, uh, retaliatory thinking that really uh, pulls us down and does very little to the people who've wounded or hurt us. I pray that you would help us establish a new habit, a daily habit of uh, resting in your uh, wonderful forgiveness as we uh, fully embrace your call uh, to release others uh, on a daily basis from the, the shortcomings, the transgressions, whatever pain we've experienced from others, Lord, we, we pour that into the ocean of your forgiveness. I pray these wonderful things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, well, look, if this uh, teaching has stirred up questions of, in you of any kind, I want to invite you to reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Here's my email address, chuck at arlingtonfm.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing you right here next week as we continue our series, My Good Habits.